Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you. And if this is your first time here, welcome. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, so glad you came to the vineyard while you're at the beach. And welcome to all the regular folks here. We've been in a series, as you can see from the bumper, Christ in Culture, where we're taking a look at some of the hot-button issues of our culture and just what does the Scripture, what does the Jesus have to say about them. And we've looked at sex the first week. We looked at homosexuality the second week. And we looked at women in the church last week. Uh, if you... If you just went, well, I would love to heard what he said about that. Just go to our website or iTunes and you can, you can listen. Today we're going to be talking about weed, whiskey, and whatever. Uh, the 21 states now, I guess, including D.C. or in addition to D.C., have uh, at least medicinal use of marijuana. Two states have uh, recreational use of uh, marijuana. Colorado and Washington State, our uh, interim executive pastor, Randy McCoy is from Colorado, and I asked him the other day when he was here, I said, uh, you know, if you guys lowered your speed limits to 35 miles an hour in Colorado now, because it's probably about as fast as anybody's driving there, um, you're wondering how I know that. I, <laughs> that's another story. Um, <laughs> you know, many of you guys come here during the week. You, maybe a couple of you do know my story. Uh, if you knew me from way back. I wasn't always a preacher, and um, I have been a preacher a very long time, but before I came to Christ, uh, I, uh, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, uh, I smoked my uh, share and about 30 other people's um, share of hash and weed and uh, did some other things that, you know, I'm not proud of doing, but, you know, I was coming out of the 60s, and uh, I do know a little bit about this stuff. I had friends up and down the beach who uh, were dear friends in the community, and also I knew a lot of the dealers in the area. Um, After I met uh, Christ, there was one particular friend who uh, used to manage a band that I was in, and I just really wanted him to come to know Jesus, and uh, he he went to our wedding, and and so about two years... um, after I came to Christ, I tried to find him and found out he was in a hotel, actually not very far from here, right down the street, right down uh, on the beach here. Middle of the winter time, still remember it very well, cold offshore breeze, uh, cloudy, chilly, and I found out where he was. And so I drove uh, a car, I prayed, I said, Lord, please just give me favor to talk to him. He's such a great guy and really love him. And Pulled in that parking lot at that hotel, and nobody, of course, wintertime then at the beach. Back in the 70s, you know, there was nobody here in the wintertime. It was desolate. You could drive from here to North Myrtle Beach and hardly see a car. And, uh, and so pulled in the parking lot, and I think he was the only person in the whole hotel. Walked up the stairs, 
And when my friend opened the door, what I saw was just, I couldn't believe it. He opened the door, and there was more dope in that hotel room. It was stacked up against the walls in blocks like this, bricks of it just all the way around. On one side was marijuana all the way along the wall. On the other side was heroin stacked up. On another side was cocaine. And then up on the beds were just pills and pills and pills. And here I am, you know, just a, a new Christian <laughs> And I'm, I'm starting to break out, and I'm thinking, police are going to pull into the parking lot at any moment, and they're going to go, I can see it now in the Sun News, Jesus freak arrested, you know, uh, with $2 million worth of drugs in a, you know, in a, in a hotel room. And, and uh, I talked to him, and I said, man, what are you doing? Come on, there's a, you know, there's a better life for you. And he, he said, look, I'm making one more run, one more run. He, was a, he ran between the states and was a delivery boy, and he said, I'm making one more run, get a lot of money, I'm getting out, Tim, I'll come see you, we'll talk about this thing that's, that's really changed your life, and I said, okay, and just about two weeks later, I get a phone call from one of the guys in the band, and he goes, man, uh, he's dead, and I said, what happened, and they said, well, somebody pushed him in front of a train in Charleston, his hands were bound, and when they found his car, all of his clothes were laid out perfectly, uh, and all of his money, a big roll of money, was sitting in his shoe along with his socks. In other words, it was a message that uh, you don't get out of this once you get in it. Great guy. Wonderful guy. So I've seen that side of it. I've, it wasn't long after that I went to the police here. And uh, I walked into Ori County Police and I said, I want to help my friends get out of this whole lifestyle. <laughs> One of the guys who had chased me for a few years... Um, he took out a 38 pistol. I'll never forget this. He took out a 38 pistol and he went, wham, just slammed it down on the desk and shoved it over to me and said, take this and go back and get me some names. And I said, that's not the kind of help I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I want to help them come to know what I came to know. And uh, they weren't interested in that at all. But I did get into the jail and uh, not the way that it, I would. <laughs> not the way I was headed, you know. Uh, and so I did get, the, you know, the, the jailer was sitting there, Mr. Johnson, and he goes, I'll help you out, you know. And, and so he started calling me anytime they arrested people, and I got to speak to a lot of people. I mean, I talked to a guy named Hamilton who shot a guy here in Briarcliff, snipered him, and uh, he, i never forget, what, he was coming down off of heroin, and I was sitting on the floor in the jail talking to him, and he's scratching his arms like this, just pulling the hairs out of his arms. I've got ants in my veins, Tim. I've got ants in my arms. And then I saw him. I went up to the Columbia Correctional Institute to preach and uh, went down into the hole and down to where they have the, you know, where they have the chapel, and he came out. He looked so different, and, uh, and then he told me, he said, you know what? I, what was really strange was he said, my girlfriend and I, they, you know, they paid me $10,000 to kill that guy, and he says, I put it up my arm and her arm in like two minutes. He said, I took a man's life in order to get high for, like, just shoot it all up. And he said, me and my girlfriend fought over what was left in the needle because that's how much we wanted it. So I've seen this. Rusty Woomer, probably the most infamous murderer of Ori in Georgetown County. I spent 130 hours with Rusty talking with him uh, and his mom and his brother and seeing that side of, of, of the whole issue. So I, I want you to know that you know, I've, I've, I've been in it, I've seen it, and I've seen the fallout from some of it. But we tend to look on both sides of the issue and we go, oh, that is so horrible, blah, blah, blah. But there's another side to this. I've also seen 
the beauty when we talk about, and I'm going to talk mostly about alcohol this morning and make one comment about uh, maybe uh, weed, marijuana, whatever y'all call it nowadays, and um, uh, when I close out. But I also know the beauty of sitting on a huge rock in Europe with a couple of good friends, uh, missionary friends, with a glass of red wine, watching the sun set, and us sitting there and talking to each other about how many people came to Christ during the week and us enjoying the moment and celebrating. You know, the Reformers, John Calvin and Martin Luther, had some things to say about beer and wine. Uh, Martin Luther, who was quite a character himself, you know, he said, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let's drink beer. You didn't know he said that, did you? No, you didn't because they don't tell you. Churches don't tell you this stuff. They don't. Pastor John Calvin, I mean, you know, the angry Calvinist, John Calvin, part of his annual salary package with his church was 250 gallons of good wine. That was part of how he was paid so that when he had guests over to his house, he had some good friendship wine to share with them. Uh, When the Puritans landed on Plymouth Rock, those Puritans, right? The first permanent dwelling they built was a brewery so they could have their beer. That was the first thing they built. Luther's wife, Catherine, and if you ever get to read a story about their life, it's it's a biography that's worth reading. What a wonderful relationship and beautiful and very odd relationship but Catherine when they were apart Luther would write her and you know say that he missed her but what he really missed was her beer making ability (laughs) that he missed her because she was a brewer and she was able to to make good beer and uh, that's some of the history of the church fathers and mothers of the church and We seem to be such radical people that we will run one way or the other and we do things to the extreme to the point that we get robbed of the beauty of why it was given in the first place. And we are really, all of us are damaged material in such a way that it seems like addiction comes so easy to all of us in some way, in some form. Um, During the turn of the 20th century, right when the the prohibition stuff was about to happen as well, there was a Methodist pastor who one night, one of his parishioners showed up at his house drunk after taking too much communion. And uh, he was already thinking about stopping the use of wine in uh, communion. And after being so upset with this parishioner and the Methodists at that time deciding that they were going to come out against uh, alcohol, uh, this guy, his name is Dr. Thomas Welch. Recognize the last name? Thomas Welch, the first one to make grape juice. Okay? This is in 1869 is when this happened. He was a doctor, a dentist, and a theologian and pastored a church. Very smart man. A very capable man. Well, he, had the pro- he saw the problem, so he went into his little side house. Uh, he knew pastors, the pasteurization process, so he got some grapes, he smashed them up, he put them in bottles, and he boiled the bottles, and he made the first grape juice. 
And so he took it back to his church, and that's what they used for communion instead of alcohol. He tried to pass it on to some other churches, and they thought it tasted horrible. They weren't about to touch it. So it wasn't a big success at first, and he put it up on his shelf and left it for years until his son came along and made it a little bit more palatable, and uh, it took off, and thus we have Welch's grape juice today. You didn't know that came out of wanting to change communion, did you? Here's some facts, too, when we start to look at the Bible. Jesus made some very good wine. He was a good brewer. <laughs> he made some very good wine. He, uh, you remember that in John 23, or John 2, 3 through 10, where at the wedding, uh, his mom came to him. It was his first miracle. Wedding is a, a happy occasion, a celebration, and uh, they run out of wine. And Jesus' mother, Mary, comes to him and says, they're out of wine, son. You got to do something about it. And remember, Jesus said, Woman, I don't know that now's the time for me to do this. Basically, paraphrasing Holt's version. And but, he, and but he goes over, he says, Give me some water. He pours the water into the jugs and they dip it out and they taste it. And what does the host say? Oh my goodness, you've saved the best till last, right? Well, now that's loaded. That's a loaded with metaphors as well as it actually happened, right? Because the metaphor, of course, is that when Christ returns, the best is going to be last. The wine, the new wine, the sparkling new wine that makes you joyful when Jesus does come, that is the joy of his presence. And also, when he comes back and his kingdom is here in fullness, it will be the best has been saved to last. So it was loaded with metaphor, but it was done. And the people there who did not understand anything about the kingdom looked at Jesus and went, great wine. They loved it, and the bride and the groom really appreciated it. That's a fact. Jesus drank wine. We know that. In Luke 7, uh, 34, he was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. He was guilty of one of those, for sure. He was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. And he was definitely guilty of being a friend of sinners. But he was no drunkard. In Psalm 104, verses 14 through 15, we read this. And this is God speaking. He, speaking of God, makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. You see, it was intended to be a blessing. Wine was intended to be somewhat of a communal drink, and it was to be a good thing. Wine in the Old Testament was a symbol of God's blessing, of celebration. And in the New Testament, Paul even tells his young preacher that he's training, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.23, he says, Timothy, don't drink just water. Drink a little wine for your stomach. Uh, You know, it's implied in the passage there that Timothy was a little bit of a timid guy, a little nervous about being a leader, and he got stomach, you know, his stomach got upset, and uh, it didn't get any better when he had to deal with all these crucial issues. And Paul said, take a little wine to settle your stomach down, Timothy. Settle yourself down. That's in the Scripture. You know, that's there. And so what... What else does the Bible say? We're going to be over our main text this morning is in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 15 through 20. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, New Testament, a book that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We've used this book um, 
We've talked out of this book on occasion in this series more than once. So if you've got it, if you've got uh, your Bibles or your app on your phone and you want to pull it up, your iPad, Ephesians 5, 15. You also have a fill-in in your handout, and uh, if you want to take that out and track along, we'll have uh, three fill-ins this morning. Ephesians 5, 15. Let's read this and we'll pray. We'll ask the Lord for some help. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for your help this morning. Uh, We ask for you to guide us, direct us, that you would bring your word to light, uh, that indeed, Lord, we would be able to hear what you want us to hear. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to help me push past uh, my opinion. Let us see what you have to say. Help me in my weakness. Give me the gift of teaching this morning. Let me hear also, Lord, what you are saying. We open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here in this place. Jesus, come. Walk among us. Teach us how to be your followers. In your name, amen. In your first fill-in in your handout this morning is simply this, and it comes from verse 15, where he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Your first fill-in is, Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be unwise, Paul says. Be wise. Paul is concerned that the church may not be using wisdom and how it deals with uh, alcohol and some other issues as well. Why would he be concerned with that? Because of what's in verse 16. You just follow it up. The answer to your questions usually are in the same text. So you look around it for the answer. And in verse 16, he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are are evil. In other words, there's going to be opportunities for you. And if you are drunk, inebriated, you will not be able to take advantage of those opportunities. And those opportunities, I believe, were the opportunities of being invited into what God is doing on the earth. Being able to see what He is doing and being able to join Him. Be able to hear. If we lose control of ourselves, then we can't be we can't offer ourselves to God. If we drink too much, if we, if we put ourselves in a place where we can't respond to when God's voice speaks to us or when someone needs us, then we have been taken away from that opportunity, and that's unwise. That's not wisdom. I really believe that's the main thing. It's not like there is anything inherently bad with alcohol. It's the fact that many times we do things to excess. And we do them to the point that when we do have a chance, when we do see some opening for us to be able to speak for God, to be a part of what He's doing, if, if we're inebriated, if we're so out of it, we can't participate with God. And we miss the adventure. We miss the invitation to come along with God and be a part of what he's doing. And um, we want to make it about the drink, and churches want to make it about the drink, and I don't think it's about that. It's about the adventure. God wants us on the adventure. And uh, I think he put things on the earth to enjoy, but gosh, we take them to extremes, don't we? 
everything. I mean, it's not just alcohol. I was addicted to surfing, probably still am. Yeah, I mean, I'm not lying to you. I would leave. I told my wife the week we got married, I leaned over to her and said, don't ever ask me to choose you or surfing. She still married me, you know. And 43 years later, here we are, you know. But, I mean, it's an, that was an addiction. I can't tell. I get sick on my stomach if the waves got good and I couldn't get out there. And it's an addiction. It's just something that grabs you. We do things to the excess to the point that it pulls us away from opportunities that we would have had to join God. And alcohol or some substance is the same way. If it puts us in a fog, if it puts us in a place where we can't uh, see the opportunities, then we're going to miss them. And I think that breaks God's heart. And I think that breaks our heart because he has such an adventure for us. He wants us to be a part of that. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. They lead you astray. It's not wise. You know, I, I was thinking the story I keep telling you guys of Philip and that Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. Imagine if Philip was just so happy about being a Christian, he was just totally high, you know. And God had him trying out there to try to meet that guy, that Ethiopian. And Philip was so inebriated, he could not have heard God's voice or he couldn't have heard the guy in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Suddenly he would have missed the grand adventure. He would not have been a part of that. And it's in the book. Now his story's in the book. And how many adventures do we miss if we take this to the excess? I think that's what this is about. And that's why Paul tells the leaders in the churches, he says, you know, don't drink too much wine. Don't be addicted to too much wine is the phrasing. Why? Because it's going to affect your decision-making. So whenever you have to make some decisions in the church or you're going to have to pray for someone or you're going to have to make, uh, you know, some financial decision for the church or the team comes together and you're inebriated, you're not going to be able to think clearly about it. And so one of the requirements for a leader is that they not be addicted to too much wine or something that would fog their understanding and their wisdom. Uh, Just this last week, I heard three great stories in our small group. And I really would love to have them on video uh, soon. And, and, uh, but, you know, both of the people who were involved in these three stories, you know, just happened to be somewhere where God invited them into an adventure, Starbucks, a retreat, and then just thinking about an old acquaintance, somebody that they knew, and God suddenly captured them, invited them into a situation where they were able to share the love of God for, with people. If we are out of it, We don't have the ability to take uh, the opportunity in hand and take advantage of it. God has a great adventure for us, each one of us. And we don't want anything to rob that because that is is the adventure. Your second one is this, and it comes from verse 17, second fill-in, is don't be foolish, be understanding. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And when we're foolish and maybe we're drinking too much or imbibing too much, we don't understand what God's will is for the moment. We, we miss it. Luther, as much as he uh, advocated a good beer and some good wine, says this also, Martin Luther, we ought to give thanks to God for providing us with food and drink and then besides liberating us from the papacy and feeding us with food and drink. If you are tired and downhearted, Take a drink. 
But this does not mean being a pig and doing nothing but gorging and swilling. (laughs) There's his commentary. (laughs) What is the Lord's will? What is Paul saying for us to not be foolish in and to have understanding? If you look in the text, you can find the Lord's will right here in the text. Part of it is in in the same chapter, the first three verses, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. When people start drinking a lot, now I'm an old redneck. I was raised around fights. The more people drank, the more knives came out, and the more fights happened. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was nothing gentle and humble usually about a big group in a bar drinking to they were just totally snockered. It, got, it could get out of hand quick. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's the kingdom. That's the picture of the kingdom. And that is understanding. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's part of the Lord's will. And if we drink too much, if we imbibe too much, then some of us are angry drunks because we retain this anger deep down inside that we have not dealt with. And suddenly we get something that dulls our pain. And when it dulls our pain enough that we can open the trap door, monsters come out. There are better ways to deal with our pain than have to numb ourselves out and let the monster out where it destroys the people we love most. And we miss the will of God. And so Paul says, don't be foolish. Be understanding. Keep control over what you do, what you drink, what you eat. There's another aspect to this too in Romans 14 where Paul tells the Roman church there those that, I got to read a little bit of this just to, to put this in context. Accept um, the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. You get this? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord. Vegans? Hallelujah. Right? And if we die, we die for the Lord. So, I've ate too much steak, I die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block, any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Get it? 
If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. And he goes on, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. And he goes on and says that the stronger... And the stronger in this passage, well, let me just read it. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. (laughs) Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. If you feel good about drinking a glass of wine, it's okay. Keep it between you and God. Keep it between you and God. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, if you are free to drink wine, that is, Paul considers that to be the stronger one in this discussion because you don't have to. You're the stronger one. The weaker one is the one who can't drink because they can't. You get this? And they shouldn't. So you who are stronger should prefer the weaker. It doesn't mean you can't drink. It means you prefer them. If I'm around someone who has a drinking problem, what do I do? I don't have a glass of wine. I don't do it if I know it. I don't do that. I mean, you can ask people. Do you mind if I have a beer? Do you mind if I have a glass of wine? Just ask them. Because we don't know. We have so many friends. I have dear friends in recovery. And, you know, I would not do anything to try to, you know, hurt them or to put them in an awkward position. And so we as Christians, we prefer our brothers and sisters, right? And so that's what he's getting at. The Bible calls us to freedom. We are definitely free, but we have control over what we are free in. My saying years ago uh, in another church that, and I worked with some folks who had struggles in this area, my, my uh, kind of proverb was, you only have the freedom to drink if you have the freedom not to drink. You get this? You only have the freedom to drink if you have the freedom not to drink. I don't have to. I mean, I can if I want to, but I don't have to. You know, I might, I might not. If I'm in a situation that I think is going to hurt a brother or sister, I'm not going to do it. But if I can't say no, if I can't say no, then maybe I got a problem. Maybe I need to get some help. You get this? Does this make sense to you? I mean, this is sensible to me. So don't be unwise. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Be understanding. Be understanding of other people in the church that are with you and all. And and do what is best for one another. And your third one there is don't get drunk. Be filled. Don't get drunk, be filled. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery, that's the word we don't use very much, but uh, it means extravagant squandering on one extreme. Spend too much, drink too much. One who slides easily under the fatal influence of temptations with which he has surrounded himself into spending freely on his own lusts and appetites. Debauchery. Some translations say that it's a waste. It's dissipation. In other words, getting drunk, there's no profit in it. There's no return in it for anything. 
You might feel better for a little while, but if you've ever been drunk, you know you don't feel well forever. Because the next morning you swear you'll never do it again. And there's a reason it feels like that. (laughs) Because you put your body through something it shouldn't be going through. It's not understanding. And so Paul says, there's something else you can be filled with, and you can be filled with it as much as you want. You can be totally immersed in it. You can revel in it, drink it, have it in your life continually, and that is the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, this book is just really a a practical book. Over in Proverbs 23 and verse 29 is a description, I think, of, of what many of us may have experienced before. It's also, I think, a description of addiction. It um, Proverbs twenty three twenty nine, we read, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Surfers. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? (laughs) That is a a great description. That's in the Bible. You guys ever read this book? It's a great book. I mean, and it's real practical, really practical. So we replace any substance that threatens to overwhelm us and control us with the presence of God. We ask for Him to fill us. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled is a picture of uh, you take a boat, you open every cabin in the boat, you open the bottom all the way down to the bilge pumps, you open it all down to the transom, you open it down the bow, the stern, starboard, you know, you open it all up, you take it and you sink it into the water so that there is not one possible room or space in that boat that is not filled with the water. That is the picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not filled like that all the time. I don't know about you, but that's God's will that we be filled with His presence like that, like that boat sunk down into water. And when we are, out of Galatians 5 comes the fruit of the Spirit, and part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Maybe if we're filled more with the Holy Spirit, we can enjoy the things God has given us in moderation and as a gift, and so they don't control us any longer. Remember in Acts 2.13, that whenever... The Holy Spirit fell on those first disciples. Someone looked at them after they spilled out into the streets, and what did they say? Ah, these guys are drunk. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know exactly why, how they were acting. I don't know if they were staggering because the presence of God was so strong on them. We know they were speaking in foreign languages and declaring Jesus to all the many visitors that were there in Jerusalem at the time. We know that was a miraculous thing that was happening. But somehow the people looked up and thought they were drunk. And Peter says, there's no way they're drunk. It's just 9 o'clock. Nobody gets drunk at 9. And they said, this is the Holy Spirit. And this is a consummation of what Joel prophesied all those hundreds of years ago when he said the Holy Spirit would fall on your sons and your daughters, on your old men and your young men. And they would prophesy 
They would know that was a picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're drunk, we speak in tongues too, don't we? <laughs> you know, we babble. So I think the comparison, I think the comparison is like in the Holy Spirit when we're full, you hear the voice of God. You hear the praise of God because our text today ends with this. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, not in getting in fights and sloppy, but with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm only going to say one thing this morning to get ready to close here. The band can come back up. And that is that about weed, <laughs> there's 21 states that have it as uh, medicinal, medicinally, I guess, legal as well as uh, D.C., like I said, two states that have it for recreational use. However, in South Carolina, <laughs> see, I don't have to preach on this because it's illegal. <laughs> right? I don't have to preach on this. Now, if I was in Colorado, I would have to preach on it. But, you know, and it would fit right into probably what I'm saying with the rest of this. But here, Romans 13, 1 through 5, Paul says to us, those of us who are followers of Christ, to be good citizens. To be good citizens. To be an example to others to obey the laws, to be an example. And so, I don't have to say anything else, right? You Jesus followers, you got it? It's illegal. Got it? It's illegal. Romans 13, 1 through 5. Say that back to me. Romans 13, 1 through 5. There you go. You got it. Now, if you don't like that, then you can work to get it turned over. But that's my point. That's my position. I'm sticking to it. Eventually, one day, Eventually, one day, Jesus is going to come back to this earth. And he's going to put everything to rights. And all of this stuff and this complexity that we have with our brokenness is going to be settled once and for all. The last night that Jesus was with his disciples, before he was crucified, he picked up a cup of wine and he looked at them and he said this in Matthew 26, 29. He said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't think that's metaphorical. I think the day is coming when all of our addictions and all of our struggles and all of our hurts and our pains and the monsters in our, in our basement, all of that will be so taken care of in Jesus Christ that he will lift the cup of new, wonderful, the best wine you've ever tasted in your life and he will lift it to us and we will lift it to him and we will celebrate the coming of his kingdom in fullness. That is his plan for us. We don't want to be robbed of the adventure. We want to enjoy what he gives, but we don't want to be robbed of hearing his word for where to go, what to do, to be a part of his kingdom. We don't want to be robbed from our families. We don't want to be robbed from our businesses. We don't want to be robbed from being that witness in the world. So let us do what is wise. Let us do what is understanding. And let us expect Jesus to return one day where we can celebrate fully. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.